Welcome to the Energetics Exchange podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts. Please note that the information and commentary in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular individual or business. Listeners should not rely upon the content in this podcast without first seeking advice from a professional. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Energetics podcast series. I am Anita Stutler, an associate with Energetics, and today I'll be leading a discussion on developments in the world of batteries with two experts to help our customers make sense of what has become a crucial technology in the transformation of not only our electricity system, but also mobility more broadly. Uh, joining me today is Jacques Exien. Jacques is the chief operating officer of Future Battery Industries, which is a research center and collaboration of almost 60 industry participants at universities, the CSIRO, as well as governments. Hello, Jacques, and thank you for joining us. Hi, Anita, and uh, hello to everyone else. I would also like to, to welcome my colleague, Dr. Gordon Weiss, energetics associate and long-term analyst and commentator on clean energy technologies and developments in Australia. Hello, Gordon. Hi, uh, Anita, and welcome, Jacques. Jacques, if we could start with you. The role of batteries has long been talked about as a critical component of Australia's transition to a clean energy future. Every weekend, in fact, we, we hear people uh, announcing plans to, to install batteries. So people are starting to feel like we've, uh, the future's arrived, we, we're here. But I would really like to hear from you. What do you think batteries offer and where are we on this journey? Thanks, Anita. Um, I think, well, let's start with where we started as a country. After the, the, the blackouts that we saw in South Australia, um, the, the, the initiation that we saw through the big Tesla battery at the Hornsdale Power Reserve um, really kicked off um, what's been happening in Australia in terms of large-scale grid utilization of batteries. So, um, now, subsequently, there have been a, a large number of batteries either run as islanded systems, so basically off-grid or within-grid um, batteries. And uh, most of these have, have been actually Tesla installations, but there are a whole range of battery types. And Australia are utilizing a range of lithium batteries, but also other things like such as vanadium redox flow batteries, which is part of a larger group of flow battery systems. These batteries we see in Port Augusta, some developments there. Uh, particularly around the clean steel development as well. Also in the northwest of Western Australia is, is a big example. And the key thing really is to fit the battery needs with regards to also your photovoltaic and your wind power generation, particularly given that you don't necessarily, particularly if you match those to the wind and the, and, and the solar, you don't need batteries to cover the total non-solar incidence period, such as, you know, overnight, because the wind can play a significant role to basically keep a certain level of, provide a certain level of power. So then if you just look at what is required as extra in terms of storage, batteries can comfortably fulfill that role. So in terms of Australia, we see a very large uptake, particularly as it was realized to match our uptake of rooftop solar, which has been actually world leading in many ways. But there's been a lot of instabilities that came with that uptake. And those instabilities can now be handled through battery pack installations, either uh, behind the meter or at uh, community battery levels as well, um, where you'll have larger batteries within a community, but still within a microgrid type of, of system. 
I suggest what you're saying to some extent, Jacques, is that the application of batteries has really started spreading as really from the initial kind of single kind of application. As it moves along the maturity curve, there's clearly been broader application found for this technology. So we're sort of at the start of a curve where the uptake, you think, would spread more broadly. Yeah, I do think so. I do think also, look, there and there are two levels of development in Australia. The one is say the uptake we would like to facilitate through our future battery industry crc is to to facilitate that uptake at various levels not only within grid and microgrids but also in defense in mining and agriculture because there are a range of applications where particularly for remote areas as well so it's not only for the urban areas but the remote areas are ideal for for application of batteries and roller and we've got so many remote areas in australia so australia is actually a poster child for a remote area application of battery systems. But on top of that, we've also got the electric vehicle developments as well, um, but they are driving two totally different outcomes. So electric vehicles is all about air quality and about health, for instance, removing diesel particulates and NOx gases from the atmosphere. Whereas when we're looking at battery use in grids, it's all about the environmental impact, the decarbonization drive, and basically providing what I would view as three major services. The one is storage, which is the one that we expect to be. The other one is what we call the arbitrage function. And then thirdly, typically what we see is the role that it has with regards to voltage and frequency control, and therefore the ancillary services space. So to fulfill three important services in this in this energy uh, distributed energy systems. Which brings me actually to the point, Gordon, you were quite keen to see energetics get involved with the futures batteries uh, CRC. Uh, why was that if you reflect on what, what Jacques has just shared with us. Yeah, a, an interesting question, Anita. Maybe, I mean, there are a number of reasons. Maybe if I can just pick on two at the moment. Jacques, in that earlier, commented on the role of batteries in the to stabilise the power grid. And uh, the Australian energy market operator, AEMO, who operate our electricity, major electricity markets, they produce what's called the integrated system plan. And in that, their view is that Australia's electricity grid of the future, the lowest cost option is one with a high fraction of what are called variable renewables, wind and solar. And they therefore see a role of batteries and quite substantial volumes of that of batteries to produce that low cost electricity all the time. And again, the position of, of AEMO is that we will, Australia will have cheaper electricity if we allow the growth of the variable renewables and support them with batteries. Now, what's interesting as well is that many people know that the most sophisticated solar cells in the world, the ones that are now all produced in China, were in fact discovered and continue to be developed in Australia. It's the solar energy group under Martin Green, Professor Martin Green at UNSW, do that. And Australia as a nation complains, so we let that technology go, didn't we? Jacques earlier talked about the different types of batteries. One of them mentioned were the vanadium flow batteries. Well, guess what? The vanadium flow battery was also invented in Australia and it went overseas. And, and I think it's interesting, the CRC is the CRC, the future battery industries, CRC. And we as an Australian company were really keen to see Australia develop a battery industry rather than just digging the raw materials. Like there was a very good comment um, by Elon Musk that everybody talks about lithium-ion batteries. They're actually nickel-carbon batteries. And so much of the world's good nickel reserves are in Australia. We don't want to just dig them out of the ground and send them overseas. We want to sell, 
send battery cells overseas. Oh, so you're really saying to some extent that the, that the CRC, you see it as a kind of an incubator for potentially a, a significant future industry for, for Australia. And, uh, and it probably couldn't come at a better time while everybody's looking for some green recovery in the post-COVID era. So uh, on, on that note, uh, Jacques, can I ask you, if you had to think about what would you like to see come out of the future battery industry CRC? Anita, thanks. Uh, yeah, a number of things. We typically want to see at the end of our, the CRC a far more cohesive industry because we firstly, there was a lot of fragmentation when we set it up two years ago. We've seen a lot of expertise in Australia. Gordon mentioned, you know, that we've actually developed things like the vanadium redox flow battery. We've developed like things like the zinc bromine battery um, at the University of Sydney. They've got the gel ion company with the gel ion as, as an example. There are multiple examples of Australian technologies. We are also some of our best electrochemists have gone and worked for Tesla. So and firstly, the strength is there within our expertise. We've got the raw materials and we're also leading in terms of the uptake but this is a still a nascent industry, and we have to get this industry to work together. So the CRC fulfill multiple roles. The one is to stimulate research and development, particularly in what we would call high technological readiness projects. So projects that are, you know, off the bench scale is really trying to, with a pathway towards commercialization. Also running things like field trials so that we can prove technologies and get the confidence in technologies is really important. We fulfill a role in advocacy, and this is the one thing that is important for us. Unlike the mining industry or the oil and gas industry and so on, all of these have got fairly strong lobbying groups and has got a voice in Canberra and so on. We can't really say the same of the battery industry at the moment, nor the chemical industry that is supporting it. So serving to provide that advocacy on behalf of its participants, but the greater industry is really important to us to ensure that we grow this industry, to grow the, the small and medium enterprises as well as the large businesses that are already existing mm -hmm. in Australia. Um, and also to attract foreign investment. One of the key things that we would like to see is when companies such as BASF, for instance, that's one of our participants, come and say, well, they want to, they let's say, want to invest in some of our in facilities in Australia or somewhere other downstream, we'd be at LG Chem or Panasonic or whoever would say there is actually some sense in, in investing in Australia. Um, but also investment in things like our, our services sector is important. Investment in recycling activities would be important. And investment in the battery uptake in terms of deployment would be important. So a whole range of things that we want to see there. Sounds like a fantastic range of opportunities uh, there. Yeah. I would also add, you know, we've got, for instance, um, education and training that we want to do as well, and then a stimulation of the entrepreneurial activities in the space. So we've got a, also built in the system, we've got incubators and uh, accelerators for the SMEs to grow them and to look for ways to basically accelerate their growth um, in this industry. Fantastic. So that, that's obviously on the supply side that you've touched on a lot of points there. But Gordon, if I can flip back to you, maybe on while all this kind of advanced research is going on, what is it that businesses today could actually benefit from through either association with the, the CRC, thinking more of the energy users and the application of batteries uh, for in our client environments in general? A very good question, Anita. I'm going to introduce in the earlier question reasons why energetics want so keen to be involved in the CRC. And I guess a third reason was supporting our clients. Businesses want cheaper electricity. And now it's fairly well understood that behind the meter 
solar offers very low cost electricity, certainly compared to buying that electricity. But I think as, as Jacques has already alluded to, the problem with solar is it doesn't work very well at night. And people say, well, maybe if we had a, ba- a battery, we could capture the solar energy during the day to use it in the evening. I mean, that's the marketing ploy of people like Tesla with their Powerwall and many of the other battery manufacturers offer similar similar products. Well, that works for businesses as well. If a business has a evening electricity demand, which tends to be high price electricity, if they have behind the meter solar cells, they can put in a battery and use the uh, some of the surplus electricity from the solar cells to supply some or all of their needs in, in the evening, and they'll end up with cheaper electricity. And what can make it even a more compelling argument if they then have a look at how do they manage their demand? Are there options for energy shift from the times when electricity is expensive to the times when electricity is cheap? can be another role for batteries uh, as well. So if you look at this holistic approach to managing energy on the site through a combination of behind-the-meter solar, behind-the-meter batteries, and a bit of demand management, you can end up with quite a significant reduction in the cost of your electricity. And I guess more importantly, you get a surety of supply and also surety of long-term cost because you're no longer at the mercy of the uh, the power companies who could push up uh, push up your electricity prices. Plenty of opportunities for businesses. So as you're talking there, it reminds me a little bit of a couple of years ago uh, when we talked to a lot of businesses, they felt that their doors were knocked down with solar developers coming and and just selling them whatever kit uh, was available at the time. And much later on, I think there was, Emo started raising issues around some of the quality of some of the equipment that's been sold. So Jacques, it's probably more a, a question for you here. Um, because we probably are entering a similar stage for storage then for behind the meter kind of storage solutions for some of our customers where I think salespeople essentially come come through the door virtually every other day with a battery solution. So what would you advise corporates considering behind the meter battery solutions? What is the criteria to screen effectively uh, solutions that they should consider? If you could give some guidance there, I think uh, people would welcome that. Thanks, Anita. There are a range of issues. And and in the end, we always have to select our batteries on a fit-for-purpose basis. So there are going to be a range of criteria that varies from if it's behind the meter or if it's a community battery or a grid-scale battery that we um, have to answer for ourselves. And because we've got so many different battery chemistries, they all depend on those criteria. So, for instance, you would look at cycle life. What is the power that you actually want to deliver? So that's the megawatts or the kilowatts that we actually want. But then there's the total storage, like the megawatt hours or kilowatt hours, the charge rate that we have to look at, because the charge rate would also lead up to heating and actually impact the battery if we over-discharge or overcharge, and and also the rate of that charging. The safety is naturally a key issue because you've got batteries that are have got, for instance, uh, conventional lithium-ion batteries would have a, a organic solvent with a highly reactive electrolyte, which if that opens up to atmosphere, that can burn. It can actually, you know, it can catch fire. And if, you, if you've got a short circuit in some batteries, um, then you can actually cause a significant battery fire. And it can start 
with one cell and then propagate through a bunch of cells into the whole battery pack. So when we look at batteries, selection of batteries from a safety perspective is really important. And there are other alternatives as well, like with the flow batteries is an example. The flow batteries are aqueous. Because they're aqueous, they're non-flammable. Then there are other issues such as capacity fade. How does the capacity of that battery um, go down over time. And we all experience that, for instance, with our mobile phones after two years. Yes, indeed. Or with our car batteries, our car batteries after two years, for instance. Then and the number of cycles, um, that's important. The footprint is another thing. So, for instance, a flow battery is a large, it's, it's a large battery. It typically takes up much more space um, and it's going to be uh, running a, you know, unless you've got a reasonable amount of space at home, you typically won't necessarily run for one at home, but there are new developments that actually would even look at flow batteries for home applications. Although for a community battery, it definitely starts to make sense because you've got a centralized facility. But the one thing that's good of these flow batteries, at least, is that they, because they're aqueous, they're non-flammable, and so a lot of the risks associated with fire is mitigated in that way. Other aspects, naturally, that are important are recycling. How are we going to, to think around the recycling of cells and batteries and designing the battery packs for recycling? And then lastly, but definitely not the least, is the cost. I mean, there's a huge difference in the various battery costs and different chemistries. So every chemistry, even within the lithium-ion battery space, there are a range of chemistries, and each chemistry brings with it its own costs, its own safety factors. And in short, to get back to, you know, what do you do? It's It's actually quite, I think, it's dangerous at times to just believe the first vendor that comes to you. I think it's important, therefore, to use the Future Battery Industry CRC as an example of an organization that can provide some guidance in the space. But there are also battery manufacturers in Australia um, that can provide guidance. And there are companies such as Red Earth in Queensland. There are companies like Magellan Power in Western Australia that actually manufactures battery packs. They work with a whole range of cell chemistries and types and can often advise as to the best type of battery that you would use for a given application, whether it's at home or whether it's at an industry level or at a mine or within the electrical utility space. Clearly, it's a very complex space where I think uh, companies are well advised to seek uh, expert advice to really kind of navigate not only the chemistries, and the, but really consider, obviously, is the size, the capacity of these batteries, how well it actually kind of retains that capacity over time. And the recycling, I think, is a, something that you've raised. And I think even in the, in, in the green circles, I think there's often a lot of concerns being raised around the industry's capacity to deal with waste from, from the renewable energy sector broadly, but uh, batteries adds to that. I think you touched on cost as well, Jacques, whereas when Gordon was talking earlier about all the behind the meter kind of uh, applications for storage, I think many, many businesses are still struggling to kind of make the business case work. So there's much talk often that, yes, batteries may follow a similar kind of cost trajectory mm. than solar. And then there's obviously your skeptics in the market that reckons it's unlikely to follow a similar path. So I, I, would, I wouldn't mind uh, hearing uh, your view. If we just look at a battery, firstly, there's a battery has got its battery management system, its controls and the cells. And we often sometimes think of a battery and we think of the double A AA or triple A batteries we talk about home, but that's not the battery, that's only a cell. And yeah. and so there's an overall battery pack cost. Um, when we're talking about cells, we're typically targeting, you would see, particularly in electric vehicles as well, uh, prices of below 
100 um, US dollars per kilowatt hour. When we talk about vanadium redox flow batteries, they typically tend to be more expensive, but they cover a different need. So as I've mentioned earlier on, vanadium redox flow batteries, you know, can be between 500 and 600 Australian dollars. Uh, the, the earlier one that I mentioned with regards to the 100 dollars per kilowatt hour was for US dollars per for, for NMC type of, of lithium-ion batteries. So often one type would be more expensive than the other. But for instance, if we talk about a flow battery, you don't have to recycle that. You, you basically just at the end of 20 years, you're going to pump out the electrolyte and clean it up and just pump it back in and you know on you go. You don't have to replace the whole battery. Whereas that's what you need to do after seven or eight years or maybe a bit longer, maybe nine years for lithium-ion batteries. So... There are uh, the total cost of ownership, which is different to only the cost of a given cell or a battery that one needs to take into account. So, and there are two forces. The one is the market forces wanting a cheaper battery and mass production, which would lead to cheaper production costs. But on the bottom end, there's also uh, constraints with regards to the raw material costs. The significant portion of the battery is the actual cost of the materials. And those are metals that come from mines, which are constrained by you know, uh, the, the mines that are available, and that automatically puts a floor price in terms of, of where we can go. We don't, we can't wish more mines. They are there where they are, geologically speaking. Yeah. Um, we, we, and we therefore have to deal with what we have. And, and, and there are further geopolitical and other trade constraints that might even limit the market and supply side further. So there are supply side constraints, and the supply side constraints will provide the floor um, in, in, in this space. The, the ceiling, on the other hand, of prices are linked to what is the customer willing to pay. And uh, naturally, for instance, with electric vehicles, as an example, there's a certain limit beyond which the general person would not buy an electric vehicle. So there's an upper and lower bound, and you've got basically those areas to play with within that space. Gordon, the forecaster that you are, do you want to venture a, a guesstimate as to when we will see mass uptake of storage in um, Australian businesses? Very risky to hazard a yes. I mean, my the simple answer would be, well, best to talk to the experts in the future battery industry, CRC, because they know that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it may be, you know, it could be within five years, depending upon the price trajectories, because some commentators have very aggressive price reductions. But as Jacques said, it's more complicated than solar in terms of the logistics of the industry, which is one of the reasons why we have the future battery industry CRC to look at some of these questions to do with supply. So time will tell. But we recommend to uh, clients keep a watch on it because it is a rapidly changing space. And clearly from what you're saying is that there's no technological winners here. That different technologies would be suitable for different applications. And I think there's definitely a, a couple of more podcasts in here to possibly explore these different technologies and their potential application uh, within Australian industry. But I think also the opportunities for businesses to invest in this industry is, is clearly a fantastic opportunities that the CRC can help to promote and bringing that cohesion, driving that proof of technological concepts is very, very critical, I think, for an industry that has great potential in Australia. And I think the advocacy voice that you bring to this particular issues of the industry, I think is fantastic. So I really thank you for your time, Jacques, to be here with myself and Gordon today. Thank you, Anita. And to our listeners, if you have any questions or comments uh, regarding uh, the discussion here today, please feel free to reach out uh, to us uh, on our website. Thank you very much. Energetics Exchange Podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts.